Welcome back to our series on the book of John. Uh, about two months ago, we started this series, and we saw that in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. Jesus became flesh, dwelt amongst us to unveil himself, to reveal himself to the world. And he's been doing this for the first four chapters of the book of John. And lastly, what we saw was he unveiled himself to a man called Nicodemus. Now, if anyone could understand who God is, it would have been Nicodemus. This guy knew his Bible. He was morally upright. He was on the ruling council of the Jews. If anyone would understand God, it would be Nicodemus. And Jesus said to Nicodemus, even you, Nicodemus, must be born again to see the kingdom of God. And Nicodemus just couldn't understand that, and he walked away from Jesus, not fully understanding who Jesus was. Now, between last week's passage and this week's passage, we see John the Baptist going out and revealing Jesus to the the world. And he says, Jesus must become greater, his ministry must become greater, and I must become less. Which brings us to today, where Jesus reveals himself to the polar opposite of Nicodemus. He's going to reveal himself to a woman who's a Samaritan. Now, Samaritans hate the Jews, they, they despise each other, and also she's a questionable moral character as well. If anyone should not see God, should not enter the kingdom of heaven, it would be this woman. And Jesus unveils himself, Jesus reveals himself to her. The question is, will she get what Nicodemus failed to get? Well, we see that this conversation takes three parts. First of all, Jesus talks about living water, then he talks about two mountains, and lastly, we'll see a transformed village. So let's look at these in turn. First of all, living water, you'll see that in verses 1 through to 15. Now, because it's such a massive amount of text that we just, Helen just read for us, uh, we won't be sort of going through it verse by verse as usual. So keep one eyeball on me and one eyeball on your Bibles, and you'll do well. All right, so living waters, verses 1 through to 15. Let's pick up at uh, the end, the middle of verse 4. It says this, It was about noon. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Would you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Samaritans do not associate with, Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. See, when Jesus encounters this Samaritan woman, he actually walks into three conflicts, some big, some small. The first conflict is a conflict between the Jews and the Samaritans. Jewish people don't associate with Samaritans. That's to be putting it very politely. You see, many years ago, 100 years before this, Israel was one country, and they had a civil war. And the northern kingdom, Israel, was invaded by the superpower of the time, Assyria. They took the Israelites and deported some of them, and they 
they also got some of the other people from the empire and put them into the northern kingdom. And there they interbred. Now, the Israelites were racially very pure. They would not marry people who were not Israelites. But yet these remnant, these northern kingdom guys did. And so the southern kingdom saw them as traitors. They married foreigners, and that was a no-no. They were unclean. But not only that, they actually took on some of the religious beliefs and practices of these other members of the Assyrian Empire and also injected their beliefs to the other countries. And so therefore, the, the Samaritans still worshipped Yahweh, but they only read the first five books of the Old Testament. And so the southern kingdom, the Jews, said that they were actually not just racially impure, but they were actually also theologically impure. And they wouldn't let them worship at the temple in Jerusalem. So what did Samaritans do? They still wanted to worship Yahweh, so they actually went off and built their own temple on a mountain called Gerizim, which is actually overlooks this particular town, this particular well. And that really set things off between the Jews and the Samaritans. And for centuries since that, they've hated each other. Now Jesus, a Jewish man, walks into this village, a Samaritan village, and he walks into this major conflict. Secondly, he's walked into a conflict between the woman and the rest of the villagers. Did you notice? She was collecting water at noon, at the sixth hour. Now for us, it's like, well, you know, no big deal, collecting water at noon. We go shopping all the time at noon. What's the big deal? <clears throat> well, going to collect water at noon is the dumbest time to collect water because it is the hottest time of the day. Most of the other people collected water in the morning so they could get their morning routines running and wash their clothes and prepare breakfast, or at night so they could have water for the evening activities. No one goes in the middle of the day. But this woman did, and it's because the town folk scorned her. And, you know, she didn't, probably, she didn't think very highly of them either. And it's because she's probably of some sort of moral... There's probably something wrong with her morally, and the townsfolk don't like her. So she's forced to collect water in the middle of the day. And the third conflict uh, is not really a conflict. It's just more of a bit of a tussle. Yeah? It's between Jesus and the woman herself. Now, we look at this and we think, Jesus, yeah, of course. Why would, of course she'd trust him. But as far as she's concerned, he doesn't, she doesn't know who Jesus is. As far as she's concerned, this is this funny Jewish guy who's dared to walk into a Samaritan village, a Samaritan well, and ask her to give him some water, feeding from her jar, which would make him ceremonially unclean. So for her, it's like, I don't trust this Jesus guy. And when Jesus says, you know, I'm going to offer you living water, she says, yeah, you know what, you don't even have a bucket. How are you going to get this water? And you really think you give me water? Well, give it to me because I hate coming to this well. It just reminds me of my shame. See, Jesus offers her true satisfaction. Not physical water, but living water. And this living water would transform her life, would satisfy her, and not only that, it would well up in her so she becomes a spring of living water, offering other people true satisfaction as well. This woman needed this, in particular because she had had five husbands and now she's living with a sixth man who's not even her husband. For whatever reason, she's actually been looking for satisfaction in a husband, in a man, but hasn't been getting it. And Jesus says, I'm offering you living water. Now, this is true of that woman. She was chasing for satisfaction in the wrong places, and it's true for us today, isn't it? I mean, we look for satisfaction in all types of places in 2019. Um, one of the most trivial ways that we look for satisfaction uh, is actually um, in our mobile devices. Yeah? Um, I, I used to, I've repented now, but I used to uh, be really into Mac products. And uh, I used to go onto this website called Mac Rumors. And you see here in Mac Rumors, you have armies of people writing about what the next possible Apple product will be and what it will be like. And the, all these people are dissatisfied, and I was one of them. I was like, oh, I'm just waiting for the next iPhone to come out, the next iPad to come out, and if I could just get that, 
I'd be happy with myself. My life would be better. Now, of course, I didn't really think that would truly satisfy me, and I'm sure none of us do, but we always think, ah, a better phone, a better camera, a bit more memory would make our life a little bit better. We'd be a little bit more satisfied. But that's a phone. We don't think true satisfaction comes from a phone. But what if I said, turn that phone into a car? A bigger car, a nicer car, a safer car, a car with better air conditioning? <laughs> Maybe that would make our lives better. Or what if I said it was going to be a better holiday, a longer holiday, a, better ho a holiday further away in a nicer hotels? and more act fun activities. Maybe that would make our life better. Or maybe it's an extension to our house, or a knockdown rebuild. Or maybe it's just our children or our grandchildren's education, or our own careers. Now, we might not think those things would change our lives or satisfy us, but I suspect for some of us, we're thinking, well, those things would actually make me a bit happier. They, I could probably find some satisfaction in those things. But those things will never satisfy us. They're good things to have. There's nothing wrong with them. But if we want to find true satisfaction in them, we'll find that it'll turn to ash into our mouth. And the reason for this is because in Ecclesiastes, we're told that God made human beings with eternity in our hearts. We are eternal beings, and temporal stuff will never satisfy us. Not a two-year-old phone, not a 50-year-old career, none of those things will satisfy us because they're all finite, and we have eternity in our hearts. The only thing that will satisfy us are other eternal things. What are some of these other eternal things? Well, other people. Other people last forever. Relationships will last forever. See, God told us in Genesis that he made us in his image. And a part of that is because God is a God of relationships. Uh, his Father, Son, Holy Spirit, three persons, one God, who love each other. God is love. He's in relationship. And when he made us, he made us for relationships. One of the most brutal forms of torture is solitary confinement because it chops us off from what we're made for. Relationships. And this woman understood that, so she was chasing satisfaction in relationships with her husbands. But as you and I know, and as she knows all too well, other human beings fail us, and we fail each other. Sooner or later, we'll all hurt each other, we'll all let each other down. And so when we try and find satisfaction in relationships, even though it's eternal, it will never satisfy us. So what will? Well, we need an eternal being who will always love us and never fail us. And that eternal being, of course, is God. He's the only one who will find complete satisfaction in. And Jesus is offering that relationship to this woman and to us today. Having a relationship with him, the eternal being that is forever good, will satisfy us. And in fact, not just satisfy us, will burst out of us so we can offer this satisfaction to other people. Now, if you're sort of new to this church thing, you're sort of visiting church in the summer, well, welcome. So good to have you at church. Thank you so much for spending Sunday morning with us. Uh, it's good to know. I'm sure you already know that you won't find satisfaction in stuff. You might find satisfaction in people, but it's good for you to be here this morning and hear that ultimately your most satisfying thing in your whole life is going to be having this relationship with God. And so if that's you, please talk to a person who calls himself a Christian. Talk to me at Morning Tea. Uh, ask more questions about this, this eternal God who wants to have a relationship with you. But for most of us, I think, we've been here for a while, and you know the stuff I just said. You've, you've tasted that satisfaction comes from God, and not, not stuff, and not even other relationships. But I suspect if you're like me, in the busyness of coming back from holidays, in the business of starting school, in the business of a work year, we forget that, don't we? And we actually put our, our, our feelings, our aspirations, our emotions into stuff. And when we don't get it, we feel empty and hollow. 
or we even put our desires for satisfaction from people and we put a dreadful weight on other people to love us, to make us feel significant. And when they fail us, we feel dreadful and we don't love them back or respect them back. At the start of 2019, let's you and me uh, remind ourselves that true satisfaction comes from God alone and to chase after God and find our satisfaction in Him and receive the blessings of stuff and the blessings of relationship, being thankful to God. And if we do that, we'll find that we are overflowing with satisfaction and joy and we can love people better and we can use the tools that God gives us to grow his kingdom and bless those around us better. Let's make 2019 a year where we re-find our satisfaction in God and bless those around us. Well, the conversation moves on. And now Jesus talks about two mountains. And we see this in verses 16 through to 26. So come with me to verse 16. The woman says, you know what, this water, this living water stuff, I I want some. And Jesus says the weirdest thing. He told her, go, call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see that you are a prophet. Um, Our ancestors worshipped on this uh, mountain, uh, but you Jews claim that this place where you should worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship him in spirit and in truth. The woman said, "Uh, I know that Messiah called Christ is coming, and when he comes, he'll explain everything to us. Then Jesus declares, I, the one speaking to you, am he. See, this woman says, I, 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 I kind of want that living water. Let me have some. And Jesus says the funniest things, right? He says to her, bring your husband here. Now, why, why would Jesus do that? Does, does she need a husband to come and carry water? She's already got a, a jar. What's going on? And then so Jesus says, you know what? I know you want satisfaction. I know you have emptiness in you. And I'm offering you this living water. But your problem is you've had five husbands, and you, the man you're currently with is not your husband, and you're not being satisfied. You're empty because of these people. Now, we don't know exactly what this woman is, uh, why she's in, her, in this current state. Um, it's been speculated that this woman is a bit of a loose woman, and she's just been, a, been uh, sleeping around, and so therefore she's, her husband's divorced her. Maybe. We're not sure. It could just be that she just married five really horrible men who just mistreated her, and just, uh, once she wasn't attractive anymore, just threw her away. It could be that the, the men are just horrible. Uh, it could even be that uh, the, all five husbands died, and so she just moved on to the next husband, and that would be very tragic, and also a little bit suspicious for five men to have died. Or maybe it's a combination of all of those things. We just don't know. But whatever it is, this woman is in a place of pain, possibly in a place of shame as well, and Jesus speaks right into that and says, I'm going to give you satisfaction. Right? 
Now, and then, because it's getting a bit too close to the bone, she sort of fences with him. She says, oh, Jesus, back off. You know, um, um, I can see you're a prophet. I can see that you're someone special. Uh, let me ask you a question about doctrine. Uh, let's do the doctrine of church, Jesus. Let's start with that. You know, uh, we, we think that we should worship in Mount Gerizim because that's where Jacob and others did some stuff. Uh, but you guys, you Jews say we should worship in Jerusalem on Mount Zion. So which of these two mountains should we worship on? And Jesus sees her fencing and just loves her and cuts straight to the heart. And Jesus tells her, you know what, woman? True worship isn't about a place. True worship is not about which mountain you worship on. True worship is about worshiping God in spirit and in truth. It doesn't matter which mountain you're on. It doesn't matter what what hymns you sing. It doesn't matter what uh, uh, ceremonies you go through. What you need to be is worshiping God in spirit. You need to be born again like Nicodemus. You need to have your spirit to align with the spirit, the Holy Spirit. Love him, be renewed by him, find satisfaction in him. That's what true worship is like. And also true worship is also in truth. You Samaritans just read the first five books of the Old Testament. That's not the whole picture. You need the whole Old Testament, and you need all the stuff I'm telling you now. You have to worship the right God. You have to worship Jesus. You have to worship the one sent by God. The word became flesh. You need to worship him in truth, in spirit, being born again, and in truth, the right God. Now, this woman hears this and just sort of thinks, oh, gee, you know, I've, I've walked into that one. Uh, no, you know, Jesus, don't worry about this. Um, you know, um, uh, one day the Messiah will come, the one called Christ, and he'll explain everything to us. So don't worry, you know, theological minnows like you and I, this is, this is beyond us. Let, let the big boys talk it out and let, wait for Jesus to, wait for, not Jesus, the, the Christ to come and tell us about this. And then Jesus says to the woman, just loves her and says, you know, I, the one speaking to you, am he. You think that the Messiah is going to come and explain worship to you? Well, that is exactly what just happened. The Messiah came and explained worship to you. Now, this is true worship. The woman was thinking of this fake worship or fake religion. She was worried about the buildings, the customs. And Jesus says, no, the heart, being born again, worship in spirit and in truth. And that's kind of true for her, and it's kind of true for us today as well. Because at the moment, the world is telling us that Christianity shouldn't be what it is. It should be more politically correct. It should be more uh, socially acceptable. Our beliefs on certain things are outdated. Get with the times. But we need to be worshipping God in truth. We can't just compromise on what Jesus says to be acceptable to the world out there. What the world out there needs is the truth that Jesus speaks. And so our religion, our, our Christianity, has to be truth. But also, our religion has to be in spirit. It has to be coming from a place of being born again. It can't just be rocking up to church each week and running through a bunch of traditions, running through a bunch of activities. It's got to be a place where we actually know God, love God, are refreshed and renewed by God. There's an American pastor, theologian, his name is Yaroslav Pelikan, and he said tradition is the living faith of the dead, and traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. Religion, uh, tradition is the living faith of the dead, and traditionalism is the dead faith of the living. And what he means is that sometimes at church we can just do stuff, and we can do stuff which should be traditionally done, which is great, because you know, some godly men and women from years ago, hundreds of years ago even, prayed and thought and studied the Bible and came up with stuff for us, like creeds, uh, like the prayer for today, the collects if you like, uh, like the hymns. And they're dead now but they've passed on their living faith. And we get to benefit from that, we could grow from that, and we get to build on it and pass it on to the next generations. Sometimes tradition can be good, 
But sometimes tradition can turn into traditionalism, where we just rock up at church and we just do stuff, we just say creeds, we just sing songs, and we're doing the stuff from the past and even from the present, but there's no spirit in it. There's no born again in it. And as a result, we're just doing religion. And it's our dead faith in our living bodies. And sometimes life can be like that. If you've been in church for a while, maybe one year, five years, 50 years even, sometimes church Christianity can feel like kind of, kind of. We just rock up, we just turn the wheel, we sing the hymn, we listen to talk, we go home. But let not our church activities become fake religion. Uh, there's another church that I was a part of. Uh, they are, they're about the same size as St Andrews, maybe a bit bigger, uh, and they have every con- congregation has its own choir. The 8 o'clockers would love this, right? Every congregation has its own choir uh, of, of varying regularity, but the two of the most regular choirs, they end up having an argument about which choir sang on which weeks and on which occasions. I was just thinking, man, you know, you come here and you sing about the greatness of God, his love, his forgiveness, his, the mission we're on to tell the world about Jesus' love, and you just fight about which occasion you get to sing in. And that's tragic. It's because for these guys, church is just an activity. It's just, it's just traditionalism. There's no more spirit in it. So let's be warned, let's be rebuked, let's be encouraged by stories like that for us not to be fallen to that trap ourselves. Uh, let's come to church each week wanting to be informed and to grow in our love for God. Let, let us leave church today loving Jesus, knowing more about Jesus than when we first walked in. Let's come back next week, after this week, being just a little bit more like Jesus than we were at the beginning of this week. And let us come to the end of 2019 a lot more like Jesus than how we started 2019. Let one of our resolutions be this year. We will have worshipped God in truth, yes, and also in spirit, from a place of being born again. And let that true religion, that true worship, spill out to those around us, inside the church for encouragement, and also outside the church, so that they can hear about Jesus as well. Well, lastly, and really quickly, Jesus moves the conversation on to the transformed village. And we're going to jump down to um, verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from the town believed in him because the woman's, of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them, and he stayed for two days. And because of his words, many more became believers. They said to the woman, we no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. Now, in the, in the part that Helen read that I didn't just read, um, for the sake of time, we see that the disciples come back, and they've come back with lunch, right, for Jesus. They said, Jesus, here's a meat pie. And Jesus says, no, you know what, I'm not hungry. My, will, my, my food is to do the will of the Father. And that will of the Father is to reap this harvest, starting with this woman, and now moving on to his villages. And the disciples don't get it. They said, what, what do you mean, Jesus? You don't want the meat pie? Did someone come and give you some sushi while we were gone? Uh, what's the deal here? They just couldn't get it. So Nicodemus, who should have got it, didn't get it. The disciples, not so well-educated as Nicodemus, they should have got it because they've been with Jesus for a while, but they're not getting it. But you know who actually gets Jesus' identity? Well, of course, it's a Samaritan woman. The one that's least likely to understand who Jesus is actually gets it. And you know what? The free conflicts are resolved once she gets it. She no longer doubts Jesus. She's no longer fencing with Jesus anymore. She believes him. She's taking living water from him. Then she runs out, leaves a water jar, she runs back to her village and tells everyone about Jesus. 
These are the people who despise her. These are the people she doesn't like, and she's actually trying to avoid them by going to get water in the middle of the day. She runs back to these people who despise her, loves them, tells them about Jesus. And then these villagers come to Jesus, these Samaritans who hate the Jews, come to this Jewish man and say to him, tell us about God. And they urge him to stay for two more days. And afterwards, these Samaritans don't just say he's a saviour for the Jews, don't just say he's a saviour for the Samaritans, but he's a saviour of the whole world. The gospel can divide sometimes, but when received properly, it unites people, it builds community, it changes this whole village. That's the power of this living water in the life of the woman, this village. So what's next? Well, what's next for us today? We've seen that there's a village being transformed by the message of Jesus, by the living waters. What about our village here? What about our village here in, well, I call it Rosewood or Chatsville, whatever you want to call it. Uh, there's, there's a whole, there's a whole, the whole world's right next to us in Chatswood and right here in, in Rosewood as well. If it could transform that village in hostile Samaria, could it transform this little village, this mini city of Chatswood Roseville here? You know, this woman, when she, when she understood Jesus and she, she, was, she put down her water jar and she ran towards the town villages, what did Jesus say to them? Did Jesus say, wait, 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 hey, woman, just come back here, come back here. Um, let's do life of Jesus first. By the way, life of Jesus is coming up. If you haven't signed up, you should really sign up. But did he say to the woman, you have to sign up for life of Jesus. Do a four-week course first and then go to your friends. Did he say, you have to do the alpha course first. Did he say, you have to go to small groups. By the way, small groups are starting up as well. Make sure you sign up for small groups. But did he say, you have to go to small groups for six months, learn a bit before you can go and tell your friends. No, he just let her go. She had no training whatsoever. Now, all of us have different gifts, don't we? Some of us can give talks in front of hundreds of people. Some of us are really good at one-to-one conversations. Some of us are really good at organizing events so that people can hear about Jesus. Some of us are just really good at helping out financially. All of us have different gifts. But the thing that we all have is the same thing as this woman has. We have a story about how Jesus changed our life, how Jesus impacted our life. And in the midst of talking about our holidays and the start of school and the starting of a work year, and in the middle of all that, it's just natural for us to talk also about our story, about how Jesus loves us and gave us living water, just like this woman. And from this one woman, God chose to transform a village. Imagine what God can do with the several hundred people at 8 a.m., at 10, at 5, at 7, and with all of our brothers and sisters in good churches around this area. One woman was used by God to transform a village. What can God do we do with several thousand Christians in this area if we just go and share our story with those around us. Now, I know some of you are thinking, oh, yeah, you know, Tom, that sounds good, but, you know, we're really sophisticated these days and those guys are simple. And, uh, but, but, well, let me tell you about another little village that the gospel is actually transforming. It's a little village called New York City, population 8.5 million. A church there called Redeemer Presbyterian Church in 1989 said that worked out roughly 1% of New Yorkers went to a good church. In 2016, through the work of Redeemer and many other good churches in New York City, that number rose to 5% of New York City, from 1% to 5%. And now they're planting more churches and they're doing more stuff, and they estimate that by 2026, 15% of New York City will be going to good churches. And this is what sociologists call a tipping point. If about 15% of the population start doing things and thinking a certain way, that will really make an impact on the rest of the city. 
and these guys believe that in 2026, under God, New York City will reach a tipping point with 15% of people going to good churches. It can happen in Saika. It can happen in New York City. Let's pray that it happens in Chatswood, Roseville. And let's pray to God for opportunities for us just to share our story with him. Well, we've seen several things today. We've seen, first of all, that Jesus talks about living water. Will we, this year, spend our time pursuing things that satisfy, truly satisfy, pursuing Christ instead of trinkets? We saw that worship is not about mountains or temples or traditions. It's about worshiping God in spirit, being born again, and truth, understanding who Jesus is. Will we grow our knowledge of who Jesus is and we worship him, grow in him? in spirit. And lastly, we saw that through one woman, God transformed that whole village. Will we pray that God uses us to spark a revival in Chatswood and Roseville? And will we pray that we, telling our stories to people, will give them this living water that is erupting out of us because it's so good? Let's make 2019 a year where we remember God, we share God with each other, and we bring Jesus to the world around us. Amen.